Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best things in life are free. But you can give them to the birds and bees. I need From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. It's the Motley Fool Money Radio Show, and I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio this week from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser from Motley Fool Pro and Options, Jeff Fisher, and from Motley Fool One, Ron Gross. Good to see you, as always, gentlemen. Hey, How hey. You Chris? It is our combo year in review and 2017 preview episode of Motley Fool Money. I hope everybody ate their Wheaties because we're in this for the long haul. Let's start by looking back at 2016 and Ron Gross, I will start with you. When it comes to business and investing, what is your headline for the year? I got to go big macro, if I may. You may. We have an economy that is close to full employment, depending on how you look at it. Inflation so far is under check. Interest rates are now beginning to rise in anticipation of an, a heating up economy. And we have a stock market basically at all time highs. Pretty good, I would have to say. Yeah, pretty good. <laughs> That's Jason? a big headline. It is a big headline. You know, I, I, I don't want to make this about the election, but I think one of the byproducts of the election, it was, it was fascinating to see this big outflow uh, from technology into things like infrastructure and banking uh, just after the election. Going into the election, hedge funds held huge positions in tech stocks. I mean, million dollar portfolio we we own a lot of that as well and we were performing quite nicely up until that point and and we took a little bit of a turn for the worse after the election uh, as a lot of that money flowed out of technology and into financials and uh, infrastructure ideas energy and whatnot I, it's just been a it, it really kind of a weird way to sort of wrap up what was a pretty good year to this point Jeff Fisher my headline is market resilience rewards those who sit on their hands. Wow, you actually did, wrote a headline. I did it in a coined too, phrase in large font as well. And the notes are kind of similar to Ron's. It's the S&P 500 is up more than 12% or so as we round the end to the year. Uh, what's interesting though is earnings in the S&P were basically flat this year. So the the ratio, the index's PE ratio has gone from 22 at the end of 2015 to about 26 right now. So it's all multiple expansion is what's lifted the market higher, not not earnings growth. But who knew this would have happened when we started with the worst January in history for the stock market? Uh, negative earnings growth, as I just talked about, we had Brexit, we had all these surprises, and yet the market is rewarding those who own good businesses or the index and stick with it. Uh, you know, you think back to January and when we were in this studio, that was the lead story for a few weeks in a row. Was just how bad the market was in the short term, how volatility was on the rise in a really big way. And when we talk about long-term investing, Jeff, we're usually talking in terms of 5, 10, 20 years. We're not even talking about 12 months. You just go back less than 12 months, and you look at how the market has wrapped up the year, and that is just a faded memory. Yeah, and I think the the main thing that may be driving the market higher is that we still have, of course, very low interest rates. There's nowhere else to go to make a return, so you, you turn to stocks. Uh, Jason, you mentioned Donald Trump when we had Carl Quintanilla from CNBC on the show uh, a couple of weeks ago. He said that was his business headline of 2016, just sort of the ripple effects of that. So, uh, the election of Donald Trump aside, Ron, uh, what's your biggest surprise business story of the year? The biggest surprise is a little political, and it's it's a little business, and it's Brexit that Jeff just mentioned. Totally out of the blue, uh, the conventional wisdom that was was that Britain was going to stay in the EU, and lo and behold, uh, as we've experienced here recently, um, the polls don't always get it right. 
Um, and Posters it, had a bad year. It had Ooh. a bad year, and it created it did create ripple effects, not just from a political perspective and a national perspective, but a business one as well. Mostly as a result of the British pound basically just plummeting off the face of the earth. Jason, yeah, you know, I really, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I, I'm I'm a bit surprised at at this Wells Fargo situation, John Stump, the entire fraudulent accounts thing, and how deep this has really gone. It seems to me, at least, that this was more than just sort of a one-off. It seems like there really is somewhat of a culture problem at Wells Fargo at this point. I mean, having worked in banking before, I, I get I get sort of where this came from, and I think it was really a, bit, a fatal flaw of the incentive structure. Um, but it seems to be going beyond this. We're seeing some uh, insurance policy fraud potential there. It just doesn't seem to quite end. Uh, and with a business that we've known for so long, one that Warren Buffett continues to tout as really the best-run bank in the world. You know, it's just really surprising to see they've not been able to sort of head this off and change the the conversation, so to speak. It is a little surprising when you think that at at the core of the Wells Fargo story was the incentive structure, which on the surface, and I'm sure at the time, it was seen as, oh, if we get more accounts, uh, we get more people to open more accounts, if we get our existing cu- customers to open a second account, a third account, well, the, you know, they're in theory going to benefit, I'm going to financially benefit, and on it goes. And it, it seems like at no point did anyone do basically apply chaos theory or just sort of think, well, wait a minute, what does it look like if this incentive culture just gets out of control. Well, and Charlie Munger is the one who always reminds us to be very aware of the power of incentives because that's what it really all boils down to. And again, I mean, this incentive structure begged for this kind of behavior. It's unfortunate, uh, but it also seems like this is something that runs a bit deeper than just the incentive structure. And I don't think they're fully out of the woods yet. I think that stump stepping down was the right call, but I think this is going to be something that drags on for a little bit. They're going to have a lot of work to do uh, to really regain, I think, the trust of most consumers out there. And it's going to cost them a little money in the process. Jeff, those are both great, and and they oh, both you, Jeff. they both have ramifications that will keep going. The Brexit vote, I think, in at least a small way, helped lead to a, a Trump victory, which may lead to more populist victories next year. We'll see in France in the spring, and then Wells Fargo, I think, as Jason just said, is not out of the woods. I took more of a one-off uh, surprise, and that was the business of Theranos, run yeah. by Elizabeth Holmes. She founded it in two thousand three. Uh, by about a year ago, it had 500 employees and a $9 billion market value, and she was valued at $4.5 billion in her 20s, making her the youngest self-made billionaire in the world. And then everything just imploded. The company was, for those who don't know, uh, promising to, to reinvent how we draw blood uh, for blood tests, for health tests, by using a prick instead of a, a, a syringe. It was just going to be a simple prick test, and it turns out all of that was basically not true. And yet, so many people had bought into it, and she was on the cover of Fortune. She raised all this money. It's all basically gone now. Her net worth is said to be zero now. So that was surprising. How how wrong Wall Street can get it. Well, it's also a reminder of uh, how there's nothing like a good story. The story behind Theranos was a great story, both in terms of this young woman, and uh, you know the way that she was modeling herself after Steve Jobs. She drops out of college, she starts this business, and who wouldn't hope for a revolutionary technology where instead of plunging a needle and syringe in my arm <laughs> to take a lot of blood, you just need to prick my finger, you just need a couple of drops, and you'll be able to test my blood mm-hmm. and evaluate and all that. So, I mean. 
there's nothing like a good story. No, and it does seem like that should eventually work. We, we will figure that out. Um, it just seems to not be right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. By the way, uh, Adam McKay, who was the uh, film director behind The Big Short, the uh, Academy Award-nominated uh, film, um, he's doing a movie about Theranos with Jennifer Lawrence playing Elizabeth Holmes. So Great. One it is to a watch good for. story. Yep. Um, a lot of big headlines this year, Ron, uh, some that we've already talked about, but there are always those investing stories that fly under the radar. What's one that caught your attention that you thought, maybe a little bit bigger deal should have been made about this? So We talk a lot about the economy and the stock market um, being robust, but I think underreported is the fact that the Russell 2000, a measure of small companies, small cap stocks, is actually up 22% in 2016. That's a huge number. Most of that gain actually happening in the last two months of the year following the election. 22% is not just your your regular everyday good year. That, that's a fantastic year. And people with exposure to small caps, I think, are quite happy. Mm-hmm. Jason? Well, I'm really happy to be sitting at the table here with Ron and with Jeff. They'll love this one, I think, because this is so mundane. Nobody would even give it a second thought. But if you'd invested in either Domino's or Papa John's at the beginning of the year, then you would be sitting on some very, very healthy gains of 45% and 60%, respectively. Which, to me, is is pretty fascinating, because Domino's and Papa John's are just sort of... Mediocre? Just mediocre pizza, <laughs> right? We just think of it as very convenient and easy way to get a quick dinner. But these are stocks that have really not only had a great year, but had you invested in these companies five years ago, then you would be sitting on gains of around 350% each, throttling the market handily. And the reason why I'm so glad to be sitting here at the table with these two fine gentlemen, and you too, Chris, <laughs> is that Ron has 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 pointed out, uh, on more than one occasion, the merits of a Domino's investment. And Jeff, I think Papa John's is still it's an in. active recommendation in pro. That's exactly right. People Mark. love pizza. Mm-hmm. By the way, think about Patrick Doyle, uh, the CEO at Domino's Pizza, and something that he did, and something that Ron Shake did at Panera Bread uh, in the past. They have each made headlines by essentially calling out the flaws in their own business. When Patrick Doyle took over Domino's, he came out pretty quickly and said, you know what? Our pizza's not that good. And that's the most important thing that we're going to focus on right now, in the same way that Ron Shake said, you know what? Our restaurants are kind of a cluster to be at, and we're going to work on making the process better. The first step is identifying the problem. <laughs> Jeff, what about you? So two, two things jump to mind, and they're both minor, so or at least quick to say, they're not minor. The 10-year interest rate, the 10-year bond in Germany went to negative. So if you invested in a German 10-year bond, you're actually going to get less money back at the end of 10 years. Why do you think the that German sucks. 10-year bond was an under-the-radar story? I, I don't know. That it feels like. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> but if you buy a lot of them, do you make up up on volume? You'd I mean, be Germany, okay? Germany is the the heart, the motor anyway, the factory of of the EU really. And so when they went to negative interest rates, it didn't get nearly as much coverage as I thought it it might have. We know about Japan and negative interest rates and how that has dragged that economy along for a long. Time and now that European Central Bank has negative interest rates on the books is is a little concerning. The other thing here in the U.S. was a one trillion dollars in buybacks and dividends for the first time on the market. Nice big round number. That's again helping the market go higher. So I'd be more concerned about what happens if those taper off. That said, so many companies are getting into the habit or know that they must increase the dividend every year uh, to really keep investors' faith that. 
hopefully they're managing the business towards that. Yeah, buybacks. That's one of those things that it's it's not sexy. It's it's not always the most inspiring move. But there are a lot of businesses. AutoZone leaps to mind that they reward shareholders on an annual basis just by following that simple playbook every single year. It's true. The buybacks have they've really grown since 2008. All right. There's a lot of hype out there, Ron. What's what in your opinion the most overhyped story of 2016? I fear we're all going to have the same one. I'm okay. so, I'm curious to to know. It's got to be Pokemon Go. <laughs> Come on. See, I, I, uh, hottest augmented reality game, most downloaded app in its first week ever, f- fastest to reach 50 million installs on Google Play. Everyone was talking about it. The kids were walking around the street like zombies playing it. It was nuts. Jason, do you agree? I, yeah, I definitely agree with that. But I came up with sort of a uh, an honorable mention because I had a feeling we might all talk about that one. But I, I honestly, I think it's this Facebook metrics thing. I mean, Facebook has come out not once, not twice, not thrice, but four times now with uh, flaws in their metrics that they provide to their advertising uh, customers. And and on the surface, that sounds like a pretty bad thing, and it sounds like it's just rife for just revolt in every capacity. The problem is that Facebook is so big and there are so many people that use that platform, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or WhatsApp or whatever, it just doesn't matter anymore. They can do pretty much whatever they want and they've still got these advertisers right where they want them. So, I know there was a lot of noise made about these metric problems, but I think at the end of the day, it was more or less meaningless. It's not going to affect Facebook's business at all. Jeff? I'm surprised I'm saying this, but the death of physical retail, I think, reached an overhyped uh, plateau this year. Uh, Walmart sales are are at a record high. Best Buy, Nordstrom, Macy's sales are all about flat the past couple of years, so it's not as if they're growing. And they do certainly have their challenges, but I don't think we're going to see the death of retail as we know it. In fact, it's interesting that we have Warby Parker and Amazon opening physical locations as a way to reach more customers. So I think physical retail, as we all know, is changing and is challenged, but it is not going to disappear. At least not the best of them will not. Coming up, we're heading to the corner office to talk about the CEOs of 2016. Stay right here. This is Motley Full Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Jason Moser, Jeff Fisher, and Ron Gross. We're hitting our 2016 year in review. All right, before we get to the CEOs, Ron, what was your favorite story this year? Got to be Rhoda Pitcher and Lululemon. Ah, Board member, did she exist? Did she not? Did she go to college? Did she not? Who is this woman? Well, she's no longer on the board now. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because uh, the stock tanked about 20% after she quote unquote left the board, but it rebounded late in the year. Jason, what about you? I'm going to tug at your heartstrings here, Chris. Taking market foolery on the road, hitting Shake Shack in New York City, baby. Not only was it a lot of fun, but it also convinced me that at the right price, Shake Shack is actually an investment I would consider. At the right price. At the right price. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing lower than where it is now. Correct. <laughs> Jeff Fisher, your favorite story of 2016? All right. I like the story that the Rockefeller family announced that they were going to divest from fossil fuel as quickly as possible and eliminate their Exxon holdings. It's just, you know, Rockefeller's oil fortune goes back a century. I like the kind of evolution of that stance and, and how they announced the news. At The Motley Fool, we study businesses, we study the balance sheet, the competitive landscape, all of that. But at the end of the day, it is people who are running these companies. Um, Ron, when you think about the best and worst CEOs of 2016, who's on your list? 
I really respect what Satya Nadella has done over at Microsoft. He, he took a stagnant company and turned it into a cloud-focused innovator, and I really think he's done a great job. The CEO, unfortunately, there was a lot to choose from. Um, I ended up going with J. Michael Pearson of Valiant, who basically, you know, through a series of missteps, has it's really put, <laughs> yeah. that, uh, put that company in, in a lot of trouble. Um, everything from, you know, pricing concerns to the debt levels to congressional scrutiny, just not a good job. Jason, who gets your best and worst of 2016? Mary Dillon at uh, Alta. Just a phenomenal, phenomenal year for really what was a turnaround story for a while. We weren't sure it was actually going to turn around. The stock is up about 40% for the year. And, and to Jeff's point, I think this is a great example of where we can see bricks and mortar is still relevant in some spaces. And she has really exploited the power of, of bricks and mortar and how that plays out in the cosmetics industry. And I think really encouraging was that they've, they've recently upped their guidance. They think they can open up 1,400 to 1,700 stores domestically versus the, the previous 1,200. So, maybe a bigger market opportunity than we initially thought. Uh, we're CEOs. Wow. I got to go with Renault Laplanche Ooh. of Lending Club. Uh, this was a story uh, back in the middle of, of the year. He founded this company in 2006. He was ousted in the middle of the year uh, when it was discovered that he presided over uh, an air-filled sale of loans to investment banks. He made personal investments in, in outside funds that were buying uh, Lending Club loans. So, a lot of conflicts of interest there. And he really made a mess of a stock that's now down more than 50% for the year. Jeff Fisher? So, Glassdoor just released their highest-rated CEOs, Glassdoor.com. And I'm going with Scott Scher, who was number 2 out of 100 on the list, with a 99% approval rating. Scott Scher is the CEO of Ultimate Software, ticker is ULTI. It's a $5 billion human capital management software provider. The company is growing nicely, and it looks ready to grow into its valuation this coming year. So, it's one to look at. ULTI. Worst CEO, I went with worst high-profile CEO, and I hate to do it, but I've got to give it to Steve Ells and Montgomery Moran at Chipotle. The stock is down 50% from its high. It's down another nearly 20% this year. I think the company really had a tin ear uh, after the E. coli problems. It didn't address the, the issue well. Not only that, but it, they let their operations sink. They let the quality of the service and the apparently the food. I haven't been back get worse. So, what are they focused on? They they haven't they've had their eye off the ball and they need to hopefully step it up next year. Do you think John Stumpf to the you know on the one in a billion chance he's listening, do you think he takes any solace in the fact that he presided over that, you know, Titanic sinking at Wells Fargo uh -huh. and but none of you named him. I had him as my number 2 in, in case someone stole my number 1. You were doing weighted voting. <laughs> yes. Um, Jeff, I got to ask you real quick uh, about the guy at ULTI. Is that a company you had heard of before you went to Glassdoor just to work off of their CEO list? Yeah, Ultimate Software. I've it's been around for a handful of years. I've followed it. All right, stick around because it is time to look ahead for our 2017 preview. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Jason Moser, Jeff Fisher, and Ron Gross. Guys, our 2016 year in review is out of the way. Let's look ahead to 2017. And Ron, I'll start with you. What's uh, what's your big business or investing question as we head into the new year? So I really want to know. Are corporate taxes actually going to come down in a Trump administration? The stock market is relatively fully valued. There's not much growth um, ahead that I can tell, unless we get something that will really spur earnings. Corporate taxes coming down could be exactly what the stock market needs to continue to head, head uh, north. 
Jason? Yeah, I'm going to be paying attention to the online travel space. I think it's just a tremendous market opportunity, and we've seen a lot of success from companies like Priceline, Expedia. We're seeing TripAdvisor really fundamentally shift their business model. Um, Airbnb out there changing sort of how people are viewing accommodations. Uh, hopefully, we'll see that one go public at some point or another. But but this big shift to mobile, I think there's just so much opportunity out there in the online travel space. It's Pretty resilient from a global perspective. Uh, definitely a space you want to have in your portfolio and enjoying following it. Trivago on that list too. Trivago. That's actually <laughs> one I would probably uh, I'd steer clear of that one right now. Memorable name. Jeff Fisher. <clears throat> Big question for 2017: What happens with Twitter and on Twitter? Twitter could play a big role, <laughs> perhaps larger than any other <laughs> medium in the world in 2017, if certain. If Trump continues to use it as a way to communicate, who knows what it'll lead to. But for years, we've been wondering what would happen to the business itself. That question remains unanswered. So, those two, it could make Twitter a Keep Twitter in the headlines next year. Kind of feel like maybe the White House should appoint a secretary of Twitter at this point. It, it, I don't think it's losing relevancy. Will he switch to at POTUS? Will he take that handle over, or will he continue with his uh, current handle? I would bet he'd keep his current handle. Maybe I would, I would hope he would take the POTUS handle because yeah. that's the office he's going to be occupying in late January. Um, does Twitter get acquired in 2017? I mean, I read a story recently that made it sound like a, a few companies, including the Walt Disney Company, were really kicking the tires on Twitter about whether or not to to throw down some money and those buy it. stories were all over in the, this fall, this summer, and then they all seemed to fall apart. Salesforce, Disney. Um, what was it? Microsoft or Google? Seems no one was really interested. If you see a company struggling, you might as well wait and let them continue to struggle and get cheaper, perhaps. Ron, I want to go back to the tax thing for just one second because it's interesting. It, I think it's easy, and certainly there are some investors who are sort of salivating at the prospect that corporate tax rates would be cut from sort of the typical thirty-five percent down to like maybe twenty percent. Um, that's great. Um, sort of uh, in the weeds a little bit is is talk that part of a tax plan moving through Congress would involve uh, the so-called border adjustment tax, so that um, goods that are important uh, imported, think of you know apparel, think of footwear, medical devices for that matter, things that are important all of a sudden have their taxes ratcheted up. So I think that the corporate tax thing it it may it may not be a slam dunk in terms of a win for investors. That's true. And then a third piece of the puzzle would be the if we get a tax holiday to repatriate cash, which could really lead to billions, if not more, tens of billions of of money being repatriated back to the U.S., which could be an interesting move as well. Yeah, and a tax cut typically a corporate tax cut typically helps smaller companies, which is partly why the Russell 2000 has yep. soared, like Ron talked about, and a lot of those companies are domestic only as well. Uh, Jason, I'll start with you. What's an industry that you're watching in 2017? Um, an industry I'm watching. Hmm, geez, you know, it's, it, to me, it's it's looking at wearables. I really want to know what in the world is going on with wearables. Oh. <laughs> wow. I just had to. I mean, wearables were, I'm not dissing you, Jason, just the <laughs> Just industry. your ideas. For I, uh, several years, they're like, Apple Watch, where's the watch, where's the wearable? And now well, they're and here, I think and it's he's, like, He's yeah. keying into my sentiment exactly. right there. I mean, we've seen the Apple Watch, insert Jeff's yawn, uh, Fitbit, I, I just have to wonder if that's even a business really at this point. So, I, I, again, I think wearables, they were neat. People all talk about them. I mean, Snapchat's coming out with these glasses. Google Glasses already failed. 
the one consistency I think with all of these wearables that none of them have, so, have solved a fundamental problem. They're neat. It seems like people are doing companies are doing it because that's what's expected of them. But I have yet to see anything uh, from a wearable perspective that actually solves a problem for me. Um, and, and so I can't help but wonder. Is this really a flash in the pan, or we need to see companies really start to up their game a little bit? Perhaps Under Armour could be doing something interesting here with smart shoes. Uh, now, that could certainly displace something like a Fitbit, where you don't have to wear anything around your wrist. It's actually your shoes are giving you the feedback when you go running or whatever. But again, I, wearables to me, I, I'm just I'm thoroughly unimpressed at this point. Yeah, I love it, Jason, because the companies have not cracked the code. You're right. So continuing to watch that is interesting. And Jeff, I know that wearables is not the industry you're watching in 2017. <laughs> what is? I am, but this is just as boring. This is more boring. It's renewable renewable energy. The reason why, the reason being, is that we have an administration coming in who they have a lot of interest in fossil fuels, and they're going to try to push that agenda and kind of reboot everything from coal. Of course, oil's doing all right, but but renewals renewables are at a price point where they're cheaper in a lot of cases and i think they have their own momentum so it'll, it, if renewables can keep thriving and growing even now that means they're probably here to stay and google is one example where they're going to 100% renewable energy by by next year 2017 saying it's it's cheaper it's better for their business on and on so the economics of renewables i think have made them past the turning point ron what about you I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye on infrastructure stocks, uh, even if Trump doesn't fulfill on his campaign promise to put $1 trillion towards our crumbling infrastructure. I certainly think we will see increased spending there, um, and that could be good for some of these stocks that they've rebounded recently on, on the hope, but they uh, traditionally have had, had some struggles over the last year or two. Um, so, I think one of the problems we're going to find, though, is that the labor force doesn't exist to necessarily rebuild our bridges and our tunnels. Um, so, you're going to have to put forth incentives and higher salaries to get perhaps some people back into the workforce that have left. Well, I mean, if corporate taxes are cut, that'll just flow naturally to employees, won't it? <laughs> uh, Jason, uh, is there is there a trend you're watching? Is there a technology that you're other than wearables that you're uh, particularly ex excited about in 2017? Yeah, I think the back half of this year has shown a lot of promise in regard to streaming video on mobile platforms, and I think we've seen uh, Twitter for one is, is capitalized on this NFL deal. That's that's really worked out nicely. I think the quality of the stream there is, is good. Facebook doing the same thing. So whether it's uh, whether it's agreements with sports leagues or just live video in other capacities, I just think there are a lot of possibilities uh, in regard to streaming video on mobile platforms. So I, I expect we'll see a lot more of that in 2017. Jeff, what about you? Artificial intelligence is starting to have its day in the sun. Google reorganized its whole business around AI several years ago, and Google Brain started five years ago. And they have now turned the corner on AI, they're, they're saying, and as has recently been written about in the New York Times. But over the past four years, six companies, uh, Google, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, and Baidu in China, have all had an extreme focus on AI. And we're starting to see the fruits of that just come to light right now, and I think it'll be a, an amazing future as AI grows. Uh, it'll be amazing right up until the rise of the machines. <laughs> I know you're worried about that, Chris, and I, I would be too. It is coming. Ron Gross? 
I love this everything on demand trend that has taken consumers by storm. I think it is great for consumers, whether it's Uber or Amazon Prime, or to be able to get your movies or your TV shows on demand when you want them, whatever you want. I think that it will only continue um, into 2017 and beyond um, through new new apps and expanded apps. Coming up, most business shows give you measured predictions. Get ready for some reckless predictions. Stay right here. This is Motley Fool Money. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Jason Moser, Jeff Fisher, and Ron Gross. It's our 2016 year in review. It's our 2017 preview. Here are five stocks that we talk about, at least one of them pretty much every week, guys. Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Google. I still can't get used to calling it Alphabet. Alphabet. <laughs> um, when you think about these companies, Ron, and 2017, whether it is a threat, uh, an untapped opportunity, uh, a question, a challenge that the company is facing, um, what stands out to you? For, for Amazon, I've been reading a lot about how apparel is their next big opportunity, which doesn't roll off the tongue to me. Um, I don't see that as their next big growth engine, but there's many analysts and, and stories out there that says their, their push into apparel will be the next big thing. In fact, they unveiled a line of private label dress shirts for men recently. Um, I don't see it, and it makes me kind of scratch my head. The other thing that makes me scratch my head with Amazon is their Amazon Go, their smaller storefronts that they're putting um, into malls to sell some of their hardware. Um, I'm not sure we want to see Amazon as a brick-and-mortar company, and uh, I think they're going to have some challenges. I wouldn't bet against Jeff Bezos, but uh, Amazon Apparel, Jason, doesn't really have the same zip to it as something like web services or the Echo device. Maybe they just need to come up with the right name. I mean, Mac is is a big fan of those Kirkland shirts, and that's Costco's label, right? So maybe maybe it really just boils down to the name. Um, and if you're lazy like me, then you just need to know what size you wear and you just <laughs> need to order something every couple of months and, and have it shipped to your the house. Buy yeah, exactly. Um, I think with Apple, it's just what we we look at Apple. We think about the five years that Tim Cook has headed up the company uh, since Steve Jobs passed, and he's done a wonderful job. Shareholders have won. Uh, the one thing, though, I mean, Apple hasn't really brought anything compelling to the market since then. So I, I tend to think that Cook's best opportunity is in regard to capital allocation, figuring out what to do with all of that money that Apple has. Um, but by the same token. They need to come up with something new. They need to come up with something compelling. I mean, the Apple Watch ain't going to cut it. The phone is the phone, and it's it's done a wonderful job for the company. But again, if Apple is going to maintain sort of its position as a leader in the tech space over the next five, ten, twenty years, we need to something. We need to see something new from the hardware side uh, coming sooner rather than later. I think tenth anniversary of the phone, I bet, will bring some some cool new stuff in twenty seventeen. Let's hope. When you guys look at what what Apple has done with music over the last couple of years, do you think there's an increased likelihood that they go further into media, that they go into television 
production in the way that Netflix and Amazon have? Well, I believe, if, if I understand correctly, they are they are looking at producing their own shows, a la Netflix, Amazon, HBO. So I guess better late than never. But again, I don't think that's where the biggest opportunity is. I mean, we've already seen a lot of competition in that space, and I, I think there's more TV out there today than most any of us have the time to actually watch. Uh, so again, you need to deliver the goods, and, and I'm not sure that's really going to be the most profitable way for them to be. Uh, Allocating that capital, so to speak. Jeff, what about you? When you look at these five stocks, look at all these. It's interesting to see Apple, Amazon, and Google all going after the the home, the smart home market, and none of them tying it all it all together yet. It's still early to do that. But I would have thought Apple would have a bigger lead into the smart home than they than they do. Uh, Amazon's made a big leap with just with Alexa and the connected devices to that. Now Google has its own Alexa type device. That just came out, Alphabet, Google. Uh, so, where is that all going to go? How is it all going to come together? I have so many different speakers at home, and some talk to one another, some <laughs> don't. I'm, it's starting to. It needs to all come together somehow. But at, when you look at Google and Facebook, though, the the latest news is about the fake news making its way through the ranks on Facebook. We knew about, but also on Google, a lot of Google searches now. On key on key terms, keywords are bringing up fake news. This news is just breaking, and so Google is working to to combat that. And both of them will probably have some a lot of work to do in the in the next year on on that issue. Before we get to reckless predictions for 2017, let's talk stocks. Uh, we're we're not going to do stocks on our radar as we normally do on this show, but. In terms of upside for 2017, Ron, what what stocks should investors be keeping an eye on? I think you got to look at banks and financials, which is tough for me to say because I almost always shy away from them because they're too hard for me to analyze, quite frankly. But um, in in a world of higher interest rates, potential lower regulation, and lower taxes, I think they're going to be strong. Um, I recently purchased this, a financials ETF as a way to play that, since uh, I would be too worried to do an individual stock. Jason? Yeah, I call that TripAdvisor uh, on Market Foolery. The, the same here. I think it's just a, there's, this is overkill on a business that offers a lot of value. And, and they are facing a couple of big challenges in making the shift to the instant booking platform where you can actually book rooms and, and make transactions on the platform. Uh, also, going from desktop to mobile. I mean, those are challenging moves, but I think that uh, we're seeing some signs of success there. Uh, they have expanded their relationship on Instant Booking beyond Priceline to now uh, Expedia is joining that platform as well. So I think as they continue to educate consumers of what they can actually do in TripAdvisor beyond just getting information, uh, it's going to benefit a business. I think 2017 is, is going to be a, a year for the stock to take a bit of a turn for the better. Jeff? I think the train is still rolling for technology. The market's been cautious on technology writ large since November. But many of these most dynamic businesses, like the ones we just talked about, are still growing earnings by by 15% or more per year annualized. And they're trading at about market average multiples. So I think you can get some of the best businesses in the world with promising futures at decent prices. Let me ask you about something that Ron just said, because I think there are a bunch of people who are looking to 2017 with an eye on banks and financials. Uh, would you include uh, MasterCard and Visa, two stocks that you follow pretty closely? Would you include that in terms of the upside potential for those? I would. Not. I agree with Ron on financials. Since 2008, they've been interesting, and they continue to be. And now, with rates going higher in this country, I, I, I would look there as well. We're invested there in Pro quite a bit, and MasterCard, Visa have. Grown well. I mean, we're talking mid-teens on earnings per share, even in a world economy that's struggling. 
So when the world economy does pick up someday, they'll grow even better. So yeah, I, I like both those companies. All right. In terms of downside, what stocks should investors have on a really short leash? I think you have to be careful uh, with dividend stocks. There have been a flight into dividend stocks in a major way for people searching for yield. Um, as a result, some of them are overvalued or at least fairly valued. You need to pick your spots very carefully. Jason? Yeah, it's not public yet, but I think when Snap goes public next year, I would encourage investors to be very careful with this one. Don't just jump in thinking uh, that because the financial media is saying this is the next big IPO, that this is going to be a, an automatic success. Now, they've made a big shift here in the business, moving to, to defining themselves as a camera company, which there's a lot of opportunity there. I mean, certainly with, with virtual reality and whatnot. But again, I mean, this is a company that's known for really one thing, and that's the Snapchat platform, which I think is, is somewhat of a niche platform. And I'm not sure it's as easily monetized as some of the other uh, social platforms out there. So, again, a lot of potential there. But if this thing goes public at $25 billion, I would avoid it like the plague. But they will have the ticker symbol SNAP. That is very true. So that goes in the plus column. Jeff Fisher, in terms of downside? I'm with Ron. I wouldn't rush to add to utility stocks right now or dividend pairs with interest rates going higher. The S&P Capital IQ says the S&P Utilities Index trades at 29 times earnings, and that's up from the mid-teens a few years ago. This is people chasing yield, just as Ron talked about. So, as yield, as rates go up, interest rates go up, people will likely be moving out of those stocks, and the stocks could come down. I love the the verbs that we attach to what investors are doing en masse. They're chasing yield. There's a flight to safety. <laughs> it's always an action verb. Even though you're sitting at your desk clicking a button. They'll exactly. be ro- shortly they'll be rotating. <laughs> All right. Just a couple of minutes left. Give me a reckless prediction for 2017. It can be about business, it could be about something else. I'll only do this because it's reckless because normally I stay away from this, but I think the S&P 500 will be up 15% in 2017. Whoa! Wow. Lower corporate taxes, less regulations, financials and infrastructure stocks leading the way. Wow. Nice. You're making a market call there. Let put, me let me go after Ron. Right All right. Cuz I'm taking the opposite side. Of <laughs> I'll bet you a dollar. So Ron, I'll bet you a dollar. Right. Okay. What's so reckless about your prediction, Ron? Let me let me Here's why I question <laughs> Reckless that. Ron. Since 2002, the S&P 500 has had a negative return only one year in 2008. So we're due. It's been positive every other year. So 13 of the last 14 years the S&P 500 has provided a positive return. I found that kind of shocking when I looked at it. So I'm guessing I'm predicting it will be down in 2017. All right. All right, one minute left, Jason Moser. I'm going super reckless uh, with Howard Schultz stepping down from the CEO position of Starbucks. I think in 2017, we'll see Panera Bread acquired by Starbucks, which will ultimately Ooh. lead to Howard Schultz and Ron Shake ticket in 2020. <laughs> wow. I I'm, love that. Now, now that's that reckless. Is reckless. Yes. In, in 2017, I'm saying it won't get passed into law, but one half of the U.S. Congress is going to pass a bill that will eliminate the penny. We are going to get one step closer to getting rid of the coinage in and this country. And it's about time. It is about time. <laughs> no disrespect to Abe Lincoln. Of course. We love Abe Lincoln. We love him. But can't we love him on in other ways besides the penny, which is just such a money-losing proposition? I think he would applaud your honesty. <laughs> I like to think he would. And since he's not here to say one way or the other, let's just assume he did. All right. Ryan Gross, Jason Moser, Jeff Fisher, guys, thanks for being here. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Motley Fool Money. Our engineer is Steve Broido. Rick Engdahl helping out this week. And our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in 2017.